Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide you're ready for a comeback and with purdue global you can do more than take classes you can take charge of your story of your career of your life Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware dot com slash deals that's alienware.com slash deals from ufos to psychic powers and government conspiracies history is riddled with unexplained events you can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know a production of iHeartRadio. hello Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is on a real adventure, but will be returning very soon. They call me Ben. We are joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccan. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. This is a a special episode for us. This is a two-part episode. This is the whole week. So we do hope you like it. Uh, we want to start out with uh, some full disclosure. You know, transparency is very important here uh, and stuff they don't want you to know. We would like to note that our parent company, our corporate overlords, iHeartMedia, recently recognized something called the iHeart Podcast Union. Now, Matt, you and Noel and I are not involved with these negotiations, but This did inspire us to take a closer look at the concept as well as the conspiracies involved. Yes, we've been watching the process happen right before our eyes. Uh, We've been getting updates from our very own Paul Mission Control Deccan. 
who I uh, hope Paul, I hope you don't mind us saying this, but you were involved and we in a, like in leading the charge. And as you listen to this series, if you have any questions specifically about the iHeart Podcast Union, Paul has said he is ready to hear those questions and will respond. You can send those questions to us, conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. So here we go. If you live in the United States, regardless of what sort of job or career you have, you have probably heard of something called unions, labor unions specifically. In this two-part episode, we're exploring what a union is, where it comes from, and why so many powerful people and institutions seem opposed to them. We'll also explore the controversies and corruption that have occurred within unions themselves at times. In short, honestly, fellow conspiracy realists, there's a lot of stuff they don't want you to know here. So let's start at the beginning. Here are the facts. Matt, what is a union? How did they begin? Why is this a thing? Is this new? Is this old? What's what's the scoop? <laughs> oh, this is quite old. Uh, it's a common thing throughout history when there are a lot of individual humans, generally humans, working together in the same profession. They will often team up and say, hey, oh, we're, we're a lot like each other. We, we have the same needs and the same wants, and we do kind of the same thing. How can we work together? If you look to ancient Mesopotamia, there are laws there that have really echoed from that time through until today. And these things are like normalized wages, uh, things that will moderately protect workers. Let's say moderately protect workers. That's the goal at least uh, from the workers' perspective, not always from uh, the employers' perspective or the people, you know, deciding what those workers have to do. Um, and you can look to also Egypt, Rome. There are similar organizations that arise from those civilizations. Um, similar kinds of rules as well. Yeah, and then it's true. It's an ancient thing, and it makes sense. Human beings are gregarious. They like to have stuff in common, right? And most people like to think that they're having an okay life. I don't think that's a hot take. I mean, okay, so let's go, right, the the um, origins of these ideas are, are quite ancient. Let's go to Europe. It's, uh, Matt, let's say it's like the 16th or 17th century. At this point, economies in, in that part of the world are largely run by a series of things called guilds. Guilds are organizations of merchants who all work in the same business. Now, yes, folks, we'll do a City of London episode later. <laughs> but the, uh, the, <laughs> the City of London that's in London, whatever. Uh, but It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's its own bag of badgers. Uh, in theory, guilds were built with uh, a good faith uh, motivation. They were protective outfits. Like if if Matt and Mission Control and I all sold uh, wool, right? We were all somehow involved in the wool game. We would join up with other folks in that game, and then we would say, "Okay, look, let's all sell stuff for roughly the same price, and let's make sure that we can." collectively 
not get screwed over. <laughs> and in these, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's understandable. There's nothing sinister about that. Uh, in these guilds, these workers would come together again originally and then in theory to share expertise to support charities at times, like to take care of, you know, um, if if our fellow uh, wool person passed away, we would band together, we'd posse up and we'd take care of their family, right? Uh, mm -hmm. we, we would form rules and policies for trade and commerce, and then we would lobby uh, whatever state or church or arbitrary monarchy was in charge. We would lobby them to not screw us over. Again, it's a protective yeah. thing, right? Yeah, there's lots of working together, and you you can kind of see some similarities here. Maybe you're already hearing them. Uh, between highly organized groups, especially groups that exert some kind of power, right? And that's not a bad thing. Like, the point here is to exert the the collective power of a group of people, Right. And you can, it's just weird, Ben, I can already see the threads of uh, rumors and some of the older issues with some unions where there's an organized, uh, not necessarily criminal element, but an organized group maybe pulling strings within the group. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tale as old as time. Like, yes, guilds decayed into corruption shout out city of london uh they became increasingly unequal and oligarchical and they repeated the same problems of all monarchical systems which is ultimately they did not manage to stay meritocracies right they they ultimately began um trying to become the governing structure that they originally opposed, which happens with so many revolutions. It's just humans are good at a lot of stuff. Group work is not one. Uh, they like what one thing that really stands out is if you look at the the old school Western European or Central European guild system, you've got three stages, right? You've got the apprentice. You've got the journeyman. You've got the master. The journeyman. And the grand master. And the oh, grand no, that's Ultima master. Online. Oh, Sorry, that's, that's that was it. Ultima Online. Oh, well, it's also a different degree. Uh, so, <laughs> wow. All right, write in if you got that one. Uh, so the, the, the journeyman were these folks who had moved up from their apprenticeship. They had a little bit of agency in theory. They could... They could go learn from someone in another city, right? And then ultimately, the idea was for them to become a master, they would create a masterpiece. That's where the term masterpiece comes from. Uh, and this would elevate them to a level such that they could also hire on apprentices, grow them into journeymen, and then if they're, you know, not a terrible person they would ultimately they would ultimately facilitate those journeymen becoming masters the thing is these journeymen were often getting getting the short end of the stick or the fuzzy side of the lollipop uh they they were 
they were getting underpaid. Their work was uncredited. They were getting a lot of restrictions. Mm -hmm. And so occasionally, sporadically, they would Voltron up together and they would, you know, it often happened in capitals of of this era, like because a lot of people from rural environments would become journeymen and then they would go to the capital because that's where most of the work was. And then they would say, okay, everybody in, you know, Prague or whatever, uh, we, all the journeymen in charge of wool in Prague are going to say, you have to, you have to pay us and uh, you have to pay us a standard wage. And we also have to get like one day off one day. This is before the concept of the weekend, by the way. Yes, yes. Well, think think about this really at the heart of it. A a journeyman within that system and, you know, to be described as a journeyman at that time, you have all of the necessary skills of a master, of the essential skills of a master, but you have none of the power of a master, right? And to and if you get stuck in that spot where you cannot exert any power, you cannot grow, you are just kind of left there as a journeyman with the wages you have and everyone above you is satisfied with the work you're producing, but there's no reason they don't benefit from elevating you to master, at least not directly, right? So keeping journeyman at that level is beneficial for those uh, above them or right. those who exert power over them. Right. And of course, you can see the perspective of the masters. You can see the perspective of the journeyman here and them banding together. That's kind of a forerunner of what we would call unions in the West. That's not a modern labor union because these were just a bunch of people who basically got together and said, what's going on? Here in Prague is malarkey, you know, or what's going on here in Paris is not working for us. Uh, If you look at modern labor unions, you're really looking at the Industrial Revolution in probably the late 1700s in Europe. This was a huge social shift. Why is that? Why does that sound like a tongue? That's hard. This That's was hard a to say. <laughs> huge social shift. Anyway, not for nothing, right? Is it called a revolution? People don't think about that as often as they should. Industrial revolution. It's like American revolution. It's like French revolution. It is an upending of the status quo. The Here's what happened. And we don't have to point to villains or heroes here. Uh, this is something that happened to everybody from the bottom of the socioeconomic strata to the very top. A ton of people used to work in agriculture or they worked in things that were called cottage industries and they found their jobs disappearing because things were increasingly automated. Mechanization came in. Cottage industry, just to be clear for everyone, uh, describes kind of a uh, like a, a system of subcontracting so like you you are a tailor right and you make um fancy i don't know whatever is fancy at that time like dumb looking tunics that are very ornate you make those and as part of your job as the tailor, you have a bunch of friends. You get by with a little help from your friends. You got uh, somebody you know 
who lives at home, they make lace. You got someone you know who like is in the wool game <laughs> and uh, and you sort of get this all together, you agglomerate it, and then you know you end up with um extraordinarily fancy tunic. I don't mean to call them silly, it's just not my thing. Anyway, so some tunics are dope. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Hashtag not all tunics. I got you, man. So the, uh, the thing is that when the industrial revolution occurred in Europe for the first time in known history, all of that stuff that people used to do on their own and then send to some sort of overseer, it all could happen in the same place. This is the emergence of the factory and thus the emergence of the factory towns. So people poured into industrial areas. There were a flood of what you would call like low-skill workers, and they had absolutely no rights. They were ground to the bones. They died. They died making those stupid tunics. And their standard of living plummeted. I, I, I just want to point this out. They probably would have been better on the farm. Even as serfs, it's messed up. Well, yeah, because now the masterwork is being done by machines. And Mm. so now you literally need hands to move things along that production line. And that's why that's why the skill the skill level requirement to actually function and create the, you know, the same tunic or, you know, whatever it is, is lowered so much because you're not actually making the tunic now you're perhaps making a a part of the tunic with the help of machines and Mm. then that meant the tunic itself is being put together through the machines and you can just see how again like i'm trying to show the perspective from both sides here Mm. from the perspective of the worker you are you don't need to know as much to create a thing or to be functional in your position and from the people who are running the factory those people who are now the actual humans who are creating your goods uh, are just pieces in this machine that are manufacturing your goods. It is not, a, you know, a several prized individuals who have the skills required to make the thing. It's people who move the thing along. Well put. Yeah. Cogs, right? Mm-hmm. Moving parts. And, and that's, you know, uh, folks, longtime listeners, uh, you know that Matt and I take great offense to the idea or the term low skill worker. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I I only use that uh, even framing of it as in the way that uh, workers began to be viewed by those who employed them. From that perspective. Yeah. 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 Like we obviously know, and hopefully everybody knows that there's not really such a thing as a low skilled worker. Maybe some executives. There, there are maybe some <laughs> executives like skating by on nepotism. You know what I mean? Fine. I mean, but, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, uh, no, I disagree with you, Matt. Matt, you are quite talented. As a matter of fact, the 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 only thing <laughs> the only thing that I think uh, <laughs> that I think you're not good at is having high standards and friends. So thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, so, <laughs> sure, uh, sure. So, all right, trade unions is a real thing. So the the what you need to know is that in the United Kingdom specifically, 
you see the first arrival of modern trade unions, and they're usually going to be sporadic. Uh, They're restricted to certain regions or professions, but the governing powers were aware of this, right? Because this is a lower class speaking truth to the people in power. So it should not surprise anyone that at various times throughout history, especially in Western Europe, these things were explicitly outlawed. The The concept itself had not reached a tipping point. If you want to look at the tipping point, the emergence of the concept of workers representing themselves, you have to look to the United States. Now, yes, of course, if you listen to this show, uh, you know that the U.S. gets a lot of things wrong. And uh, edit me here, Paul. We rightly sh- on Uncle Sam at times. Uh, and I think we do it in a very fair way. But it may surprise <laughs> it may surprise many of us to know that the, the U.S. now is known as a pretty anti-labor union country. But in many ways, it was home to the modern labor movement. It was. I just love the concept that every once in a while we give Uncle Sam a right fair sh- <laughs> very British of us, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, ben, why don't we why don't we hear a word from our sponsor and then come right back and uh, learn a little bit about the history of unions within the United States? Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I dot com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Ah, we have returned, and we are headed to the United States, the good old U.S. of A. Yeah, so the interesting thing here is that the history of labor disputes, the working class versus the ownership class, the employees versus the employers, uh, it's older than the American Revolution. Uh, If you look back in 1636, you'll see that a bunch of people working in the fishing industry on this one island off the coast of Maine went on strike. In 1677, uh, people working in the transportation industry went on strike in New York City. And most of those incidents are temporary. They're isolated. And it was very rare for these incidents to result in a formation of a permanent group that would try to bargain with the powers that be, Uh, mainly because they had very little legal ability. They had very little agency. Uh, if, If they were injured in the result of a strike or something, then the going consensus was it's on you. It's your bad. Uh, There was one criminal prosecution in the colonial era uh, in Savannah, Georgia in 1746, a bunch of carpenters went on strike and, and the law officially got on them. Now don't get us wrong, folks. These people were getting their heads bashed left and right. And that is uh, typically, well, often, as you'll see in part two of this week's episode, uh, often that remains the case in some way. So the U.S. gets this tradition of unions or something like unions and European guilds uh, from their friends across the pond. And this is where we want to introduce this guy named Samuel Gompers. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry I say his name like that. I think it's a great name. Anyway, Samuel Gompers, uh, don't don't let don't let that delightful name fool you. He's a big deal. In 1886, he brought together a couple of craft unions and specifically cigar makers, and he formed something called the American Federation of Labor, the AFL. That was one of the first big, big unions in the U.S. And then fast forward 70 years, the AFL merges with something called the Congress of Industrial Organizations. This creates the AFL-CIO. And this is uh, one of the largest labor organizations around. Look, there's a ton of history when it comes to unions. We're just giving you the highlights from a very Western perspective there. Uh, There is also a dark side to this history because it turns out pretty much from the beginning of the concept of unions, centuries and centuries ago, people in power have been trying to abolish them. Why? Here's where it gets crazy. Well, because if there's a union, then I have to provide my cogs with things that they want, like wages that are fit to live within society, as well, you know, as well as health care, perhaps, benefits if you're in the United States because you have to provide health care through a private insurance company. Uh, you know, or, or things like time off on a regular basis, <laughs> not working their hands to the bone. Um, it's, it's, unions have been opposed because it does kind of put a hamper on, theoretically, your ability to make goods and a profit at a pace that perhaps you would wish as an employer. How dare the pores. Well, I mean, you can at least see that viewpoint, right? As uh, from uh, historically. And Mm -hmm. there, that, that is a feeling, I think a thread that, that goes all throughout history and that continues on today. And, and there is a deep desire, I would say on behalf of large organizations, large corporations to, to stop unionization from happening because of the fears mm-hmm. of what may happen to your company, to your profitability, to what your shareholders will think about your company if there is a union within your organization. Yeah. And it's it, it's really interesting. Something that we found out, uh, I mean, I would say a, a bit firsthand uh, recently, forming a union from within a company is in itself necessarily i think a bit of a conspiracy yeah yeah you're i 100 percent agree you can say that unions function in their nascent days as a conspiracy of sorts and it's it's a conspiracy by necessity at times uh you know if, if there are we'll talk in a second about how bad it <laughs> yeah. can get but it's not people necessarily being extra. It's not people who just have a love of subterfuge or something like that. They are trying to avoid retaliation. At times, retaliation that includes murder. This is a real thing that happened. Uh, On the other side of this, 
I like that we're looking at, at, at multiple angles here. On the other side of this, you can also absolutely say that anti-union activities, union busting, falls into the realm of conspiracy. Uh, like union, yep. union busting. All right. There's a ton of consulting agencies who don't like when we use that phrase. Just like there's a ton of crooked, crooked people out there who don't like being called body brokers. There are companies that exist entire. Now, they call themselves like employee relationship consultancies or whatever. If you're seeing this on YouTube, I'm doing a very disrespectful kind of <laughs> dance because I don't respect it. Uh, what they're doing, they, they don't like the term union busting, but you'll hear that term a lot. And union busting collectively describes uh, a bunch of activities that are meant to either, um, at the very least, disrupt an existing trade union or labor union, or most often nowadays, to prevent them from forming in the first place. And you have to ask yourself, regardless of how you feel about a union or the concept of it, why would these powerful entities care so much? You know, where's the beef? Well, like you said, Matt, it would increase cost for a company, very likely, uh, and it would increase the cost not just by standardizing a wage or something, but by also guaranteeing things like healthcare, vacation time, a weekend, which used to be a hot take for any for anybody who's very against the idea of unions, uh, like I don't know what propaganda side you fall on, if it's pro-union or anti-union, if you're reading it on a Saturday or a Sunday, then <laughs> you're reading it because the union stuff worked for a second. Uh, <laughs> like, remember back when, back when those British people we mentioned earlier before the break, when they came to those factory towns, they had zero rights, no vacation, no guarantee of wages, Obviously, people were paid according to their demographic rather than their ability, um, and they had no like guarantee that they would have a job tomorrow. Zip, zilch, nada. You get nothing, Lebowski. <laughs> and uh, there's there's this thing called the uh, Combination Laws, and in 1824, Britain repealed those laws. This meant that it was no longer illegal to have a labor organization. Unions used to be such a big deal that state powers banned them. It was, it was like selling meth or something. You know, it was treated with that level of um, tyranny. So once it's no longer illegal, these groups of employees, they posse up, they Voltron up, and they start things like the Friendly Society of Agricultural Laborers, spelled with uh, a U in there, right? Because it's it's British. Uh, they this was 1832, and these folks mainly wanted to make sure that their wages stopped going down. They weren't trying to make a bunch of money. They were trying to make sure that they made something close to the same amount of money each year. And any employer, they, they agreed, this is 
price fixing, basically. They, they agreed that anybody who was going to hire a member of the, agricult- uh, the Friendly Society of Agricultural Laborers would need to pay them a minimum wage. Now that is not a hot take. But just two years after that, the, the members of the landowning class complained, and they complained to their friends who were in power, and the leaders of that movement, the leaders of that organization were arrested, they were charged, and they were convicted. <laughs> I'm laughing because this is a silly law. They were convicted not of organizing labor. They were convicted of, get this, Matt, the swearing of secret oaths. Ooh. That sounds a lot like the anti-Freemason uh, mm-hmm. movement that mm-hmm. came I want to say after, maybe that's around the same time, the anti-Mason movement. Mm-hmm. You can't, that's, that's uh, multiple nations in Europe had that idea, like one cannot be a member of a secret society. But the swearing of secret oaths, I, I, I get where they're going, but it, there are better ways to write that, I think. So anyway, mm-hmm. these guys, they don't get killed. They're sentenced to a very specific kind of punishment at that time, transportation, uh, which meant they were sent to the continent of Australia. And they were going to be sent there for seven years. But there's this huge grassroots public backlash, and they eventually are released. But we say all yes. this to, yeah, we say all this to point out the odds were originally pretty stacked against the concept of unions because again as as you said it doesn't make sense from the perspective of the people at the top absolutely i know it's just an aside guys but just to throw it in we're talking about 1834 when the friendly society of agricultural laborers got shipped off to australia uh, the anti-masonic party within the united states formed in 1828 so just a little bit before that and uh, just for that history it only functioned until 1840 and then it came back and had like a second run but just it's interesting that there was an anti-secret oaths trend going on Mm -hmm. so let's talk about let's talk about some of this stuff uh let's talk about strikes so a strike you've heard of this uh a strike is when a group of workers stops working and they're protesting maybe unsafe working conditions or they're using it as a flex during negotiations between a union and management Today, strikes are largely, at least in the U.S., they're largely peaceful events. This was very much not the case back in the day. If you look back through, let's say, the 1800s, you will see that numerous strikes were put down hard. Hired militia, police, actual U.S. government troops reigned fire on on people who were just like again these are not you know these are not bad faith actors these are people who are saying stuff like hey please spend a couple bucks to make the uh the lumber mill less dangerous i would like to have both of my hands at the end of the day <sighs> and then multiple forces were like no we're gonna shoot you 
That's what happened. Yep. And I would say the the one of the major thrusts of this episode is to talk about this and the groups that physically pushed back and fought human beings that were attempting to strike for all the things we've mentioned, better wages and everything. Um, there is a group, uh, Ben, I believe they're called the Pinkertons, or is it the Pinkerton Detective Agency? Pinkerton Detective Agency was the That's name. It. Yeah. Oh, these guys. Mm-hmm. AKA Matt Frederick's favorites. <laughs> yeah, they're my favorite. <laughs> As I stated clearly <laughs> previously in the episode, um, no, they're 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 pretty horrifying. These the Pinkerton Detective Agency is the, they're the guys who would go in and intimidate striking workers, would uh, escort people who were not striking but needed to like move through a big crowd of strikers, mm-hmm. um, especially scabs, right? Or the the right. idea of other workers who were hired to replace place striking workers at least temporarily uh all kinds of stuff yeah yeah the pinkerton story is worthy of its own episode it is at its origin it's um kind of an american success story because we're talking the, the guy who started it pinkerton himself scottish immigrant very good at detective work and then it just sort of went off the rails. Uh, we'll talk more about Pinkertons in the second part of this week's episode. But for now, we want to uh, just give you a sense of how how strikes worked um, and, and what happens when they go wrong. So on May 1st, 1886, there was a nationwide strike leading to something called the Haymarket Riot. This remains one of the most infamous and tragic events of this story. Here's what they were striking for, by the way. An eight-hour workday. That's it. They wanted a nine-to-five. That's all they wanted. Hmm. And, and uh, Something many of us loathe slash enjoy slash get to have. Right, right. right. Yes, I I like the slashes there. Uh, So there was this after this strike. So three, we said May 1st. So three days later, there's a rally and a place in Chicago, Haymarket. And this rally is protesting the law's crackdown, violent crackdown to a strike by uh, employees at a place called McCormick Reaper Works, not related to our good friend Joe McCormick of Stuff to Blow Your Mind or Death themselves, uh, as in the Reaper. <laughs> it's it's Reaper Works. We're, it's a haymarket, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the thing about this rally is the weather sucked that day, so there there weren't a ton of people. There weren't as many people as they were hoping, right? or the rally's organizers, there were a few hundred. Police move in. They want to disperse the crowd. And someone, this person is lost to history. We don't know whether it was a protester or an agent provocateur or whether this is a bill of goods that you're sold in textbooks. Somebody threw a bomb and it blew up in the mob and then pandemonium strikes the police are firing guns. Um, 
It's likely that some of the protesting workers at firearms, there's no official tally. Even now in 2022, there's no official tally of how many civilians died. But we know seven, uh, seven police died and 60 more were injured. And a lot of those injuries for that 60 officers came from their fellow officers. Friendly fire, you would call it. So anyway, this happens. It's crazy. You know, Chicago is super corrupt at this time. And maybe today, but uh, even more corrupt back then. And <laughs> someone's like, harumph, 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 something must be done. So they arrest a lot of protesters. This is before cops were really arrested for doing crime. Uh, they, they arrest folks who have ideologies like socialism or uh, anarchists, right? Eight of them are charged and convicted for not swearing secret oaths this time, but inflammatory speeches and publications that allegedly caused the violence. This is a kangaroo court. There's no, there's no way to escape it. It's a kangaroo court, and everybody who is outside of this, everybody who is essentially not controlled by the people in power, are like they're saying, what gives? Uh, four of those who were convicted are hanged in 1887. One guy doesn't get hanged because he kills himself by putting a stick of dynamite in his own mouth while he's in prison, which makes you wonder, you know, shades of Epstein. But on June 26, 1893, there's this guy who's a new governor of Illinois. His name is John P. Altgeld. And he says, hey, the three of you who are still alive, I'll give you a full pardon. And this is the reason that May 1st became the uh, like international celebration of workers because other labor leaders saw this and they, they thought there was some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but you, you may be asking yourself, what about labor day? Is this where Matt and Ben talk about labor day? Well, it's called May day in some countries and throughout a lot of the world it's celebrated on May 1st, uh, here in the U S it is, I think it's the first Monday in September, and uh, that is like some stuff they don't want you to know history about it. I don't know about you, but growing up, whenever I heard Labor Day, I always thought it was kind of paradoxical. You know, it's a day off, but it's called Labor Day. I kid you yeah. not, Matt. I, Matt, I used I to know. think I, I used to think it was like a commemoration of what women have to go through giving birth. Oh, like a target that you could aim for like, Oh, we got to hit labor day this year. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> let's get started. It's, you know, it's late December, early January. Wow. Hit that target. <laughs> no. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know much about labor day until I got to college. So I wonder how many people out there listening even knew that. 
um, that May Day exists, and then also, you know, Labor Day within the United States and as it's celebrated in September. Ben, I really want to look, I, I said it was one of the most important parts of this episode. I may have been a little wrong there, but I really want to get back into the Pinkertons. Can we do that? Ooh, yeah. Let's, you know what? Let's pause for a word from our sponsors and then let's get back to some villains. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 
And we've returned. It is pretty obvious that union slash anti-union conflicts were way more blatantly violent back in the day. We're talking about robber barons. You know, we're talking about decayed aristocrats, uh, nepotistic 'er ne'er-do-wells, murderous bosses, crooked cops, you name it. They're all there, all the hits, all the good ones. And out of all of these rapscallions, the most fascinating are probably the Pinkertons, the Pinkerton National Detective Agency. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So the Pinkertons, they were founded as a private police force in Chicago in 1850 by a Scottish immigrant. And this guy's story is is pretty interesting. Uh, The founder was actually a, a Scottish immigrant who started off as a barrel maker, but he was so good at catching local 'er ne'er-do-wells that eventually he stopped making and repairing barrels and started uh, started making a difference in Chicago's crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> so barrels can wait. We got, we got crooks to catch. <laughs> it's kind of cool. <laughs> to kind of respect that, like, I feel like that's cool. Uh, it's just... Uh, it's it becomes a weapon, right? Any any police force, any law enforcement agency is a weapon against the whatever the thing is that it's aimed at. And in this case, the Pinkertons, in my opinion, got aimed at the wrong thing. Agreed, a hundred percent, Matt. Because there's one thing that you don't often hear described in a lot of media, but it's true. One of the powers of the state really is just the monopoly on violence the monopoly on legal violence. And the Pinkertons were became something that blurred that line between private militia and state power. Uh, when they became the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, when they went official, they first were focused on catching street-level crime, you know, thieves, burglars. But they got a reputation for results and powerful people started paying attention. And so the Pinkertons branched out, they diversified and they became the bane of the labor movement. They were enthusiastic, ruthless, vicious strike breakers, and they could break the law because the people who made the laws were hiring them. It feels like we experienced some of the same things, uh, at least in our lifetime, I think, Ben. It's, it's really frustrating. And, you, you know, there's um, it's depicted in fiction a lot, the the Pinkertons or, or Pinkerton-like organizations, companies that do this, the, the police force that's hired specifically to break strikes. And the severity that you're – I just don't want it to be lost on people, the severity of the beatings and the violence that was enacted by these guys. Yeah, it it bears further scrutiny because the story is often swept under the rug, as is uh, a lot of the story of the labor movement in the United States. Whether you love it or hate it, whatever your personal ideology is, knowledge is power. And so we should all be very aware of the moments when someone doesn't want you to know about a thing. I mean, I I just accidentally talked about (laughs) the point of our show. Anyway, yeah, how ruthless are the Pinkertons? Uh, You could classify their actions against strikers or the working class under something like 
by any means necessary. Remember those anarchists we mentioned earlier in the show, the ones who were arrested after the Haymarket riot? With zero proof, by the way, it was a kangaroo court. The Pinkertons sent those folks down the river, and they even had a Pinkerton operative perjure themselves, go to the sham trial, and just make stuff up to send these folks to their deaths to the gallows. And that's only one example. There are multiple examples, some more recent than you might think. Uh, Another example of Pinkerton's approach to unions can be found in something called the 1892 Homestead Strike. It features our old pal, Andrew Carnegie, steel tycoon, but a person like anybody else. He has good days. He has bad days. When this story takes place, Andy is having just a, a bad week. He's having a bad week, Matt. You know, he's worried about rich guy problems uh, because the employees at his steel mill over in Homestead, Pennsylvania, are also having a bad week. They've been having a series of bad years. They're fed up. You know, there were labor discussions occurring at his steel mill between, I guess, Carnegie and his representatives and the workers. And (laughs) he drafted up a new contract that actually lowered the workers' wages. Um, and that didn't go well. Uh, probably not a great idea, (laughs) but again, but again, as we've been talking throughout these episodes, I don't know the real pressures that Carnegie was under or that the steel mill itself was under or whatever those pressures were, economic pressures that made him believe the right move was to lower wages, to lower the production costs. Um, but those are human beings with families, and it was probably just not the smartest move. But somebody had to test it out throughout history. What if we lower the employees' wages? Let's just give it a go. You know what I mean? Like uh, like those people who are pickup artists and just say the same terrible line to 100 folks thinking it's not the 99 that are too smart to fall for this. It's the one that this will work on. So, yes, Carnegie, Carnegie said, just shoots his shot as you would say, in the parlance of our day. And surprise, surprise, the employees refuse to sign it because it is, in fact, a much worse deal than what they had in the beginning. You could almost say, and I'm sure many members of the union thought this, uh, you could almost say that it was an offer made in retaliation for the inconvenience of, of asking for some basic considerations. So Carnegie gets his boy... Henry Frick to come in, come into play. Henry Frick is, the technical term here, a real pill. He is a piece of work. Uh, As a person, and given his personality and his bedside manner, uh, he is what HR would call an area of opportunity, and not as a compliment. (laughs) <laughs> but he, Just he in like, general is an area of an op- of opportunity. As as a person, he has the opportunity to be better. Uh, here's how he responds. He looks at the employees of this steel mill, and there are about three thousand eight hundred of them. And he says, "Okay, you're all fired. All Ooh. of you are fired." And furthermore. I'm bringing in the Pinkertons. So he gets the Pinkerton agency. He gets 300 of their operatives who are armed, by the way, to occupy the property 
The former employees don't like this. Tensions are high. This leads to a 12-hour gun battle. You thought the Amazon stuff was acrimonious in 2022, folks? No, these people are bringing heat, and they're not doing it to posture. They are firing live rounds at each other. Eventually, three Pinkertons go down. At least seven employees are murdered. Uh, The Pinkertons get the word to stand down. Uh, But the damage is done. The strike ends up collapsing. And this guy, by by the way, also, Frick was taking it home, dude. He he was threatening to evict workers from their houses, like not just fire them. Yeah. Think about what it would take for you to show up to your job site, wherever it is that you work, with maybe with a gun, maybe with a pipe, maybe with just yourself but with a willingness to go to battle to keep your job what would it take not only is that a lot of fortitude that's you can you can tell that people needed that job the individual of the 3800 employees needed that job and uh wow i can't believe it was a gun battle at their job site to keep their job that that's just that blows my mind yeah and now we have to well you know, I, I want to say in this case, it's clear that the Pinkertons and Carnegie and Frick, they were doing evil things, right? There is all, you know, the old adage is true when you talk about conflict. If you are in conflict, in active conflict, then you have already messed up because you should be able to, in in most conflicts, you should be able to de-escalate into some sort of negotiation. But this, yeah, this is just, again, a couple of cases of Pinkertons doing some very villainous things. Uh, You can, however, learn more about Pinkertons. We're we're excited. I think they're an episode all their own. Uh, If you, you can go, they're still around, obviously. I think we established this before, uh, they're going by Pinkerton Comprehensive Risk Management. Uh, You can hop on their website, pinkerton.com right now, and you'll see some very interesting things about the Pinkertons, uh, stuff that we may not get to in part two of this episode, but we will definitely get to in a third episode. Um, We're going to be examining the current state of unions or collective bargaining, as well as the future of union-busting conspiracies. Oh my gosh, I don't want to spoil it, Matt, but it's it's really tough. We're we're also going to, by the way, uh, talk a little bit about the imperfections of unions, because uh, unions, being organizations created by humans, have all the foibles of any other human-created organization, you know, like... Uh, Unions did work actively to suppress some demographics in the past, you know, and they have been um, leveraged by organized crime, et cetera, et cetera. But it goes so much deeper than the conspiracies of history. There are active anti-union conspiracies today. That's what I would say. What do you think? Yeah, I I mean, for sure. There are active conspiracies against those who want to organize for the purposes of, of <laughs> more fair labor practices and, you know, payment and everything. Um, I, sorry, Ben, I got stuck on the Pinkerton website here. I oh, yeah. <laughs> went un- oh, yeah. I went under uh, our approach and then checked out our story. 
And under uh-huh. our <laughs> under our story, Ben, the last thing it says in that section is being a Pinkerton agent means we are your trusted partner. Because at Pinkerton, we never sleep. We never sleep. I know. <laughs> I love it. Uh it's it's true. It is it is true. I wouldn't say it's strong, brave, tender, and true, but it is true that they don't sleep. If you want to understand that reference, check out the part of the website Matt's talking about. There's a neat little video yeah. that is kind of propaganda, but it's fun to watch. And and this is just a quick disclaimer here. We have no idea what the Pinkerton agency is actually like right now to work there or to be whatever it is that an agent is now. Uh, we're describing the Pinkertons back in the day in this episode. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're describing them back in the day, but we will talk a little bit more about the modern day in the future. In the meantime, we can't wait to hear your opinions, fellow conspiracy realists, because, you know, Matt and Mission Control and I are well aware that unions have become a highly divisive, highly politicized concept here in the U.S. Uh, we are pretty sure that we know the reasons why, some of which verge into the realm of propaganda and conspiracy. But the, but again, we want to provide a balanced look at this. So now you know a little bit of the history of labor movements from their roots in Europe all the way up to now, and you know some of the problems. But what about the future? That's the question we're going to ask. So stay tuned. And in the meantime, we can't wait to hear from you. What do you think? Do you think unions are divisive? Do you have your own personal war stories or anecdotes or experiences with labor organizations? And if so, uh, what do you wish your fellow conspiracy realist knew about them for the good or for the ill? Uh, we can't wait to share those stories. We try to be easy to find online. Yes, just search for Conspiracy Stuff or Conspiracy Stuff Show on whichever app you use on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We are Conspiracy Stuff on Instagram, Conspiracy Stuff Show. We would love to hear from you, so please reach out in those ways if you'd like. If not, you can use your mouth and your phone to give us a call and leave a voicemail. Mm -hmm, That's correct. 1-900-PINKERTON. No, I'm kidding. It is... Uh, a free number to call, that is 1-833-STD-WYTK. You will hear a familiar voice letting you know you're in the right place. You'll have three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. Go nuts. Go ham on it. Get weird. Uh, give yourself a cool nickname or moniker. Let us know whether we can use your name and or voice on the air. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell your fellow listeners what's on your mind. And most importantly... Don't feel like you have to edit yourself. That goes against the mission of this show. It's antithetical to us. Uh, It's anathema. I'm just taking out the A words here, Matt. Uh, Instead, if you have some links you want to provide, if you have some photographs you want to send, if you want to usher us further into the rabbit hole, let's keep the thunder here if, if if you can hear it. It is becoming a dark, stormy night here in our fair metropolis of Atlanta, Georgia, which means it's time for us to sign off. It's time for you to sign on. Do check out our book coming out in October. And if you want to help us find the new rabbit holes and to help us figure out 
more stuff they don't want you to know, then all you have to do is shoot us a good old-fashioned email. We'd love to hear from you. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app.